Okay, we are, we, we are continuing in the chronological life of Jesus, and we're going to read today in, in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And um, you might remember last week, we read about the man Zacchaeus, uh, uh, which in, in Hebrew is Zacchaeus, and how Jesus reached out to the least likely person in that town, the man who was hated by all, the man who never had anyone into his home because Jews were not allowed to associate with him. Because he wasn't just a a, uh, tax gatherer, it says that he was a chief among tax gatherers. And that portion finishes up in verse 10 of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that the, the nation was really, really couldn't understand, the, the, the city of Jericho couldn't understand why he had gone into this man's home of all homes. But Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now let's start reading in verse 11 of Luke chapter 19. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, be called to him, so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good good slave, because you have been faithful in a very, very... In a very little thing, you are to be put in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him, You are are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minus already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Okay, so this is an interesting portion. It's politically incorrect. You know, it's not something that we can say today. But Jesus can say whatever he wants because he's God. And he's not bound by political correctness. What we're doing is, is we are just, just about eight days before Jesus' death. And so what we're going to see, we have spent now uh, over three years, 
last month with, was three years that we've been going through the chronological life of Jesus. Half of John's Gospel and 30 to 40% of the other three Gospels are the last week of Jesus' life. So we will be in the last week of Jesus' life for at least a year and probably longer. But um, uh, this, is, this is just before he's about to go to Jerusalem and make his last trip to Jerusalem where he'll spend his last week in Bethany right next to Jerusalem for, for that entire week. And it says in verse 11 that when they were listening to these things, which things? Well, what Jesus was telling them about, about uh, Zacchaeus. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. So Jesus is telling a parable to these, these crowds of people around him. And it says, He told them this because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he's telling them this parable for a particular reason. So I want you to see that. The reason he's telling them, you know, why is he telling them this parable? Oh, well, just passing time? No. He's telling them this parable for a particular reason. And the reason being that he's going toward Jerusalem and they think that he's going to set up the kingdom, the messianic kingdom of Israel. And we remember just a few weeks ago we discussed how James and John, he had talked all about how, how uh, his life was going to end, how he was going to be specifically crucified. He, they said that he, would, he talked about how he was going to be spit upon, how he was, he was going to be scourged how he was going to be, be uh, crucified. And still, James and John weren't getting it. It says because those things were hidden from them, from all the disciples. And particularly, James and John had gone and, and wanted to share with him the glory in his kingdom. So nobody was getting it. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom, and he wasn't. The kingdom was not going to be reoffered. From back since the time of the unpardonable sin... That offer had been retracted, it had been rescinded because they rejected him on the basis of being demon-possessed. They rejected the Messiah on the basis of being demon-possessed. And that offer is not going to come back, no matter what they do to repent, no matter anything. You say, well, that can't be. Remember, there were two other times before that. One time was in Kadesh Barnea. They tried to go into the land before God told them. They tried to go into the land. God told them to take it. And they said, no, we're not going to go into the land. And uh, uh, so then God said, okay, for your disobedience, you're going to wander for 40 years. They said, oh, we'll go into the land. He says, it's too late. Don't try it. Moses told them, don't try it. Now, they tried it anyway, and boom, they, they, they got defeated. Even though they repented, they got defeated. They had to go through the 40 years. The second time an offer was rescinded was uh, um, when he said, he said that... Um, he was going to bring judgment on the land because of Manasseh, the evil king Manasseh. He had just had it with all the blood that had run in the streets. Manasseh was taken away. Manasseh comes and he receives the Lord and he repents in prison. But still, it didn't matter. The, 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 uh, the onslaught w was taken of the, north, uh, of the kingdom and that was it. And they had to spend 70 years in captivity before they would, could come back. There was even, it says, Manasseh repented of his sins. The offer had been rescinded. In the same way, the offer had been rescinded. It's not coming back. But they thought that he was going to bring back the offer and set up his messianic kingdom. So now he tells them, that's the context now of this parable. 
the context of this parable is that, is that uh, uh, he's going to tell them, I'm not setting up the Messianic kingdom. Here's what it's going to be like. That's the context. So he says in verse 12, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. So, so this, this nobleman is going to have to go off to a distant country. So he calls, he, he, he calls to them. It says that, that he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas. Like, like, like I don't know, they gave him each $100 or something. He gave them something. But he gave each of them a mina. So he gave each, to, each of them an amount of money. Ten slaves, ten minas. So each of them he gave one minas. He gave one amount of money to each one of the ten. And he said to them, do business with this until I come back. This is a relation of what he's telling his disciples is what the kingdom is now going to be like. The kingdom that's going to be set up is not what you think. Here's what the kingdom is going to be like. I am going to give something to you and you are to do business with it while I am gone. And it's very specific. Did the slaves come up with this one mina by themselves? No, it was given to them. Everything they had was given to them. There was nothing inherent that these slaves had. It was given to them. Now it was up to them to take and do business with it. In verse 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So the nobleman calls his slaves, gives each of them a mina, ten slaves, and then he goes off to a distant land to receive this kingdom. While he's gone, the people in that land send to him, in the original land, send a delegation after him saying, don't come back, we don't want you. We don't want you, don't even bother coming back. And so that's what they thought of him. So what he's doing is he's using that as an example of what the Pharisees have done to him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, where they're saying, we don't want you. So that's what, what he's relating that to. Then in verse 15, when he returned, very interesting, when he returned, he returned. Sometimes you think the Lord isn't going to return. He's going to return. Jesus said, here's the story about it. Let me tell you in a parable what it's going to be like. I'm coming back. Jesus will return. And, and, and the Bible even talks about this. Some people say, oh, you know, it's been too long. And, and even in biblical times, they were saying it's been too long. When's the Lord coming back? And Paul has to tell them, don't count this as slowness. He says, this is mercy. You know, imagine if the Lord had come back a hundred years ago. None of you would be here and be saved. I mean, the, 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 the Lord knows what He's doing with His timing. So he says, when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, so he went away, he received the kingdom, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. So the first issue was not the people of that land. The first issue was his slaves. It was first is dealing with his slaves. His disciples, his followers come first. So he, he wants to see what his slaves have done 
with what he gave them to invest and do business with. It was very specific. I give you this, you do business with this. He told them to do business with it. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. So this man had a good return. He received one, he made ten to bring to his master. And the master said, said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. I mean, this guy is going to be now mayor over ten cities in this man's kingdom. Do you see the picture that Jesus is painting? So many times we want to know what is heaven going to be like. Look at the picture that Jesus painted. You want to know what it's going to be like? This is what it's going to be like. He is going to give authority to believers that are going to reign with Him. This is what He said. It's very clear, very specific. He says, you've been faithful in a very little thing. The things here on earth are very little things that I'm asking you to do. He says, you are going to be put in charge of many big things. In verse 18, the second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, you are to be over five cities. So what do you see? There is reward for what we do here on earth. For what you do with what Jesus has given you brings reward. If you do good things with what he has given you, if you apply these things, there is reward. This is clearly a picture of what it's going to be like. You apply these things, there will be a reward. In verse 20, another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. Interesting. So one of his slaves comes to him and it's not that he squandered the money. He didn't squander it. He still had it. It's all there. Here's what you gave me. I put it in a handkerchief. I put it in a handkerchief. What do you do with it? You put money in a handkerchief when you're going to squirrel it away. So, and, he, and he came and he presented it to him. He says, here's, here's why. First of all, for I was afraid of you. For I was afraid of you. And secondly, because you are an exacting man. And thirdly, you take up what you did not lay down and you reap what you did not sow. So everything is not about me. So the slave is saying, it's not my fault. First of all, I was afraid of you. I mean, you're just a daunting master. Not my fault. It's your fault for being so terrifying. Secondly, you are an exacting man. He's saying to the nobleman, you are an exacting All of this is your fault. It's only one mina and I didn't invest it. It's your fault, not my fault. It's your fault. You are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and, and, and reap what you did not sow. You see what it looks like? Here's the picture. We can blame God for reasons and give Him these reasons why we don't have to serve Him. And God's just looking at us. I mean, how dare we do this? That we just dump this thing back on God. And then He said to him, in verse 22, By your own words I will judge you 
you worthless slave. How's that for tough words? I mean, Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor fellow. I know you've had a rough life. This is all, you're just a product of what society has done to you. I understand that. Yes, you are justified. And it is my fault. I expected far too much of you. No, he didn't do that. He says to him, you worthless slave. I mean, this is, what, this is the parable. This is what the nobleman says. He says to him, you worthless slave, did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. You could have done something with it. You could have done something. And then back up, he says in verse 22, By your own words, I will judge you. You know how we see God is sometimes how we feel He deals with us. I love God so much. I feel as if He has a special eye upon me. I really feel this way. And, and some people look at me, how can you be so presumptuous? I mean, there's a lot of people in this world besides you. Yeah, I know. But He's my Father. And He loves me. And I feel like I'm extra special to Him. It's just the way I feel. How we perceive God is often how we receive. How we perceive God. He says... You perceive me as being an exacting man? Okay, that's how I'll judge you. If we perceive God as being a father of grace and mercy and kindness, we will receive grace and mercy and kindness. If we perceive God as being mean and one who wants to clobber us at each one of our faults, I mean, this is the way we will live our lives. We will always live this life of a defeated Christian life. You take people who have successful Christian lives that are filled into overflowing. They're really content. They're really content. Shireen is not here. My wife's not here. But if you ask her, you know, she's just very happy in who she is and the way God has made her. And she loves the Lord. And to her, life is just all about the Lord loving her and she's going to love people. It's a very simple life. But I'll tell you, it's an enjoyable life. She doesn't need all sorts of counseling. It's not like I come home from work and she has to just dump on me. No, I mean, I don't get that because she's really content. She's really happy in in who she is and who God is. And she views God in a certain way. That God loves her. God's going to bless her. God's going to bless her children. God's going to bless her family. And that's what she receives. The way you perceive God is often the way you get. And that's exactly what he told the man. He says, you you see me as being a hard taskmaster? Okay, that's the way I'll judge you. You perceive me as being hard and a taskmaster and reaping where I do not so fine. I'll judge you in that very way that you perceived me. It is a good thing to perceive God as being loving and merciful and a kind and a gracious Father. Even if you didn't have a kind and a gracious Father here on earth, You have a kind and a gracious Father in heaven and view Him in that way. Sometimes I speak to young people, I say, you know, you've got to take hold of this by faith and really believe it, that God's going to bless you. Oh, I don't believe it. You know, I just just can't believe that He's going to bless me. And, you know, I walk away from them and I say, Father, the blessing that they could have had 
Let it not go to waste. I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't want your blessing to go to waste. They don't want to receive it. I'll take it. And I really believe he's going to give it to me. He doesn't want to waste this blessing. He's got this, it's just, he's got storehouses of blessings that are just overflowing. He's got, he's got to just pour them out. I'll take it. That is the way I perceive God. That he's got so much more in store for me than I could ever ask or think. This is how I perceive God. And this is what I get. And, and yeah, sometimes I look at this, it's, it's not fair. It's just not fair. There's all these Christians that are just starving for blessings in their lives and it's just pouring out on me. Well, this is how I perceive God. This is how I perceive Him as really wanting to bless me. You will get according to the way that you perceive God. If you view Him as hard, stingy, taskmaster, you'll see that in your life. But if you view Him as loving and gracious, and with a special eye upon you. That's what you'll get. His special eye upon you. Verse 23. Uh, 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 verse 24. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he already has ten. He says, I tell you, everyone who has more, who has, more will be given him. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? You don't want to receive that blessing? You don't want to have faith for God blessing you? Fine. Lord, give it to me. It's a very scriptural thing. Don't let it go to waste. He didn't say waste the mina. He didn't say oh, throw that mina out. He said, no, give it to the guy who really likes to invest minas. Give it to him. I'll take it, Lord. I'll take that blessing. If you don't want to believe God for a blessing, let me know. Just let me know. That way I, I, I'll say, Lord, I'll take it. Let me know. I'll take the blessing. Then he says, then, then I, I, want you, I want you to turn to Mark. Turn to the, the gospel according to Mark, where he, he follows up on a similar concept. Mark chapter 8. Turn to Mark chapter 8. We're going we're gonna to read something similar to this. You know, recently, as you're turning to Mark chapter 8, recently I've been reading through the book of, of Leviticus. And... It is just tremendous. God calls them to have certain feasts, certain, certain uh, uh, Sabbath feasts, certain uh, 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 di different functions. And he says to them, he says to them, deny yourself and have this feast. Deny yourself and take this rest. Deny yourself. Throughout the scriptures, there is this concept of people having to deny themselves. Where it's not about me anymore, God is calling me to something that's beyond me. Look in Mark chapter 8, we're going to start reading at verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So he 
summons this crowd in verse 34, summons the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he first of all must deny himself. Let me tell you, life is not all about you. If you want to walk as a believer, it's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, meaning you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to deny yourself. Let me give you practical examples of denying oneself. I need to get up in the morning before my body wants to get up. My body would sleep much later than I normally get up. I never sleep to the point of just naturally being fine, okay, that now I have all the sleep I need now. I never. I've got to get up and spend time in the Word of God. It's not about me anymore. It's about a relationship that I have with God. It's denying one's self. I can't take all of my money and use it just for me and my family. I can't do that. I have to deny myself and give a portion of it away. It's not about me anymore. You want to start being a disciple of Jesus? You must start with self-denial. It's not about you anymore. It's about Jesus. He says you start being my disciple by, first of all, denying yourself. There are things that you do in life. Sometimes I'm tired at night. I just want to go to sleep. I can't because I want to read the scriptures for a while before I go to sleep. Because it says that there is tremendous blessing when they would take the word of God and they would, they would uh, meditate on it day and night. So I want to rise up in the morning and take the word of God and spend time in it. Before I go to bed, I want to take the word of God. Am I not tired? Yeah, I'm really tired. Sometimes with the Bible in my hand, I'm I'm tired, but it's self-denial. It's not about me anymore. And then he says, after you deny yourself, he says that if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is the cross of suffer, suffering. You take up your cross. I, I thought people, you know, stick me in a cross. He says, you take up your cross. There is a cross of suffering. And then follow him. Follow him. Jesus said, Jesus said in John chapter 12 that, that where I am, there shall my servant also be. And where was Jesus about to go? He had just described his death, how he was going to die. And so he, he says here, he says, uh, uh, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You know, I was just telling some of my family members, one of my family members in particular who's not a believer, I, I, was, I was actually speaking to my father about, about uh, um, some, some missionaries. And, I, and he says, why do they do that? They're going to get killed. I said, but Dad, yeah, they might get killed. But don't you understand that something means more to them than their lives? Something means more to them than their lives. The cause of the gospel means more to them than their lives. Some people receive the Word of God and then go back to their home country and it's a frightening thing. But you can't deny the faith because the Word of God means more to us than our lives. Jesus said, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you, but it, but if you lose your life for His sake, you're going to gain it. There is tremendous gain in giving what we have to the Lord. 
And he says, not just for my sake, but also for the Gospels. The Gospel message. We take and we carry that message. He says in verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I look at some some rich people. You know, there is not a rich person that I know that I would like to have their lives. I don't want it. I don't want it. I've got a treasure of a life. In a relationship with God, I don't want to give this thing up. It says the soul is worth so much more. And then he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Those are pretty strong words. If you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. What does it mean? It says that when he comes, he's going to be introducing you to the Father. Introducing you to angels. And he'll get to you and he says, oh, you were ashamed of me. Oh, you don't want to meet him. Let's, let's go to the next person. That's what he says. He'd be ashamed of you. I didn't say it. He said it. Let's turn back to, to Luke chapter 19. Turn back to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to read the last verse from that portion that we were reading in Luke chapter 19. Everything that I've said so far was for the believer. For the one to whom he has given us gifts to invest them. He has given us talents to invest them. He's given you ability to sing. He's given you the ability to speak. He's given you ability to share. And he tells us in other portions that if we use it, we get more. I'll, I'll give you another practical example. Early on, early on, and, and even before I became a believer, I realized that, that uh, um, in, in speech class, when I would get up and give a speech, it was usually effective. Even before I was a believer, I had been given some talent to speak publicly. Then when I became a believer, there were all these opportunities that would open up. And the more that I use those opportunities, the better I get. The more that I teach, the better I, I, I get at teaching. When you use your gift, you get better at it. The scriptures tell us that in Matthew chapter 25. It talks about that. That as you use your gift, you get more. So what he had just done is he took these believers aside and, and, and his, he called them his, his servants or his slaves in Luke chapter 19. He gave them something to invest. If they use it, they get more. If they use it, he puts them in charge of more. And that's what he does. He brings you up. You use the talents that he's given you. You say, well, I don't know what my talents are, so I don't do anything. Wrong. That's not what you do. That means you start trying things. You start working with the kids. You start working with the youths. You try different things. You teach a little Bible study, see how that goes, and you will then experience your giftings. You will, it'll become, it, it, generally, if it's a gift, if it's a gift that God has given you, you're generally good at it, and it doesn't wipe you out to do it. So, for example, if I had to cook a meal for this class, if I had to, I could do it. But I'll tell you, for three weeks, I'll be sweating bullets about the thing, and it would just totally wipe me out. If you're not gifted at something, it totally wipes you out. Shireen just, you know, she, she cooks food for people and it, you don't even notice it. She never sweats. I mean, she just never happens. She's gifted in that. When you're gifted in something, you can do it and it doesn't wipe you out. When you're not gifted, it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means it takes a lot out of you to be able to do that thing. So he did this. But what to the unbeliever? 
So all of this was to the believer. What to the unbeliever? In verse 27 of Luke chapter 19. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Whoa. How's that for political correctness? Jesus is prophesying through this parable what is going to happen to those in Jerusalem that have said, we want nothing to do with you. He is prophesying that in 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem is going to occur and everyone in Jerusalem died. It's interesting that the believers in Jerusalem actually got out, and we'll talk about it when we get to that point. But all of those who were not believers in the Messiah, they died. All of them and their children. Everyone who was in that city died. And that's what he's talking about. They were all slain in his presence. But this also has something to do with the unbeliever. With the believer, he's talking about what the future kingdom is. With the unbeliever. If you don't know Jesus, there's no way that you're going to heaven. There is no way that you can enjoy the presence of God if you don't know Jesus Christ. Everything goes through Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, I beg you today to open up your heart to Him. Open up your heart to Him. He's saying it is a dangerous place to be in if you don't know Him. He talks about how they would be slain in His presence. It is a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the Scriptures say. If you don't know Him, give your heart to Him. Don't let this day pass by. Just as we had read in that same chapter of Luke chapter 19 concerning Zacchaeus, how we had read in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is not His intent that anyone perishes. He gives opportunity. I beg you this day, if you've not yet given your heart to the Lord, when we go into our time of prayer, say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my life and experience that new life. Experience what it is to have God look down upon you and to know that He loves you, that He approves of you, and that when you sin, He immediately reveals that thing to you so that you can repent and press on. Just as when my children do something wrong, I don't stop loving them. We want to get it corrected for their own good. We want to get it corrected. But I don't stop loving them. In the same way, sin, once you're a believer in Christ, and once you become into the family of God, a sin doesn't separate you from God anymore. You are part of the family. You work the thing out in the family. It is the unbeliever whose sin separates them from God. And that's why he calls the unbeliever to repent, to confess the sin. Confession means, I say to God, Lord, I'm sorry for this, 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 for the things that I've done. And repentance is different than confession. Repentance actually means to turn around. So you were going one direction and you go the other. Repentance means I'm no longer going the way of the world. I'm going the way of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for the truth of the Word of God. Lord, I pray for the believers here, for those who know you. Father, I pray your Word and your work in their life, that you would, they would take the talents that you have given them and not hide them in a handkerchief and then blame you for their inadequacy. 
But Father, that they would take the talents that they have and so apply them and see more, more talents put upon them. To see more ability even with that talent. Father, I pray for Your grace. I pray for Your grace to be upon them. Father, that You would cause them to walk and to serve. And Father, that they would, even as many of them would be going to the mission field and be going on places where, where they take risks. Father, even as they would be in workplaces where they take risks for revealing that they love Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray that they wouldn't be ashamed of You or of Your Word that would go forth boldly. You and Your Word. Father, I pray for those here that don't know You. Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sin, that even now they would say, along with me, Father, forgive me of my sins. Oh God, forgive me of my sins. If you don't know the Lord, say that with me. Oh God, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. Come into my life because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and come into my life. Father, I pray for those who don't know you that you would draw them to yourself, that they would not let this day go by without getting saved by the grace of God. The grace of God so fill them. And Father, I thank you so much for this day. Your mercy is upon us. Bless these young people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.